Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic University podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Anthony Canton III, and we are continuing our journey in Star Wars lore as we continue to cover The Mandalorian. This is Chapter 11, The Heiress. I'm also joined with my co-host uh, tonight, Jake Christie. Jerome Cheng has the night off. Uh, Jake, how are you? I'm doing well. Um and I don't think Jerome would be very happy to hear that he has the night off, given the reason why he's not here is because he's working. <laughs> uh, he, I think he, I think if anything, we're the ones with the night off. Um, well, or... well, I wanted to go. To, I wanted to go with the prototypical. Uh, you know, yeah, how I they, know. They say I know. When like a radio group does it together, it's like yeah, yeah. this guy has the night off. Yeah, yeah, Jerome Chang has the night off. Uh, but hey, AC, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really excited to actually talk about this episode. Um, Funny enough, it was the shortest episode so far this season. Mm -hmm. uh, it was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time, especially for us newbies who don't really know like the extra um, aspects of the animated series of mm -hmm. Star Wars. Uh, we were introduced to canon characters, mm -hmm. uh, particularly one named Bo-Katan, uh, played by Katie Sackhoff, who actually voiced the character in both uh, Star Wars Rebels and the Clone Wars. So that's pretty cool. And she actually looks relatively similar to the character too. So <laughs> that's a nice touch on that. But um, yeah, this is kind of like the first time that we're seeing Star Wars characters in canon come through here. Uh, Jake, I know that your knowledge isn't extensive of these things, but as someone, how did you receive the episode um, in general, before we get into the recap, I, I really liked it. Um, I think that it, uh, I think it really is a good encapsulation of what makes the show good, um, because it is on the path to solving the ultimate quest. But there's a clear objective that the episode's about that you get to follow. And um, yeah, I also just think that the stuff it introduces in terms of sects, uh, I'm going to emphasize that T a lot, sects of uh mandalorians um is really fascinating um mostly because i have a lot of questions about the rule about not taking off your helmet and so i'm glad that clearly it seems to be an issue among mandalorians as well um but yeah i think that uh it's it's i i was never a i was not a battlestar galactica person and by that i mean i just never watched it at all um but i understand that lots of people were very excited to see katie Sackoff, not just because of uh the cartoons but also because of uh, her being like a sci-fi icon um, to nerds and what have you. So, you know. Ironic, ironic connection, by the way. Uh, Katie Sackhoff was in season eight of 24, which also included Freddie Prince Jr., who, as we also know, he he played a character in the Star Wars uh, Rebels series, Kanan. Can a, I a give Jedi you a... Fun fact about Keith, about uh, Freddie Prince Jr. in the later season of 24 that yes. Kiefer Sutherland made him act without his shoes on because he was so insecure about how short he was. Um, <laughs> apparently, Kiefer Sutherland is one of the worst people to work with, which is not a surprise at all. I mean, he's come on, like that's. I mean, I mean, uh, of the amount of times that Jack Bauer said "damn it" would kind of lead you to believe that there was a little anger behind that character, and I guess yeah. uh, to your point, it's it's something real. But Napoleonic um, complex, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, nonetheless. Um, so this can so this episode starts with the Razor's Crest trying to land. Uh, Mando, Frog Lady, and Baby Yoda all sleeping. They wake up. 
and the the razor's crest lands very awkwardly it was a nice little uh fun crash per se they think everything lands cool and then if then it just falls into the ocean uh roll credits that was pretty cool to start and uh then as a uh, frog lady reunites with uh, with a uh, frog man the, her, her husband which was a very uh, nice cheesy thing to see uh, a very cute in in um star wars lore um so eventually mando gets information about fellow mandalorians uh from quarren in this uh bar baby yoda gets some food and so again this wait can is i talk about things. baby yoda's food for a second yeah 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 sure so this place I, when, when he when Mando sat down and ordered for Baby Yoda, when he ordered chowder for him, I was thinking like, oh my god, this bar is gonna have some special made chowder because a baby's here. And no, they just have chowder on demand. They have a hose that shoots out chowder. That is just why. How many people are going into a bar and ordering straight chowder? Anyway, um. <laughs> shout out to the chowder. Shout out to Baby Yoda. Um, so as we continue on. So this Quarren uh, character who, who, who of course tells Mando that, hey, I can take you to where these Mandalorian are, but you have to pay. Um, there's a running theme in this show now that I've started to notice with Mando and him having to always pay for something. And I always feel like he's getting grifted. I really do feel like the proper analogy to describe Mando is he is somebody who is always defending James Harden, always. Somebody who, for whatever reason, and he, it's not like he, he hasn't seen tape on James Harden. He just goes into it. I want to do it this way. This is how I want to do these things. Yet, he always is committing the foul and then goes to the ref like, wait, what happened? What happened? I love the mannerisms that uh, that Mando uses. That You don't see his face, but yet you could still tell the frustration like, this is not the way. This is not supposed to be the way. But uh, nonetheless, so as he goes on the ship with the Quarren, uh, another double cross happens, which seems to be another running theme of, of all Star Wars things. Millions of double crosses constantly. Uh, you know, Baby Yoda gets I, what it makes you realize is that it pro it's a huge design flaw in Beskar Steel that it is apparent that it's Beskar Steel from like the eye because it feels like he has a target on his back at all times because he has the Beskar. Um, and it feels like if they, whoever made Beskar Steel, they probably should paint it to look like regular armor. So every time you find someone with it, you don't kill them. You know what I mean? Like, it feels like you just, there's no reason. Yeah, basically, Mandel's always, Mandel's always in harm's way for the most part. Uh, Baby Yoda gets thrown into the, in, into the water there in the tank. Uh, Mando gets thrown in there too. All hope seems lost. Then the... The three Mandalorians show up, uh, Bo-Katan, Casca uh, Reeves, and Axe Wolves. Uh, uh, it was nice to see them show up, nice little uh, fight scene there. That was pretty fun. And then I think really one of the more interesting parts uh, of the episode for me is them explaining exactly the whole deal and the difference between Mandalorians, Mando's backstory, he was raised by the Watch, which is a bunch of described as religious zealots, and and then when he when he hit them with the the whole mask thing and not wearing the helmet or whatever, and they were like, 
nah, this is not a this is not a thing. This is not what we do. Yeah, unlike this, the last the unlike the last few months, I found myself very much siding with the people who were saying that you don't have to wear a mask in this episode. Um, uh, but um, anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ironic enough these days. But but yeah, I, I found that interesting. And I, what I feel is coming away from not only this conversation, but from this episode, is that we're moving into a different phase of this series. And I think that the setup, not only for the rest of this season, but season three is kind of this whole Mandalorian, the old way versus the new way uh, type of deal. So like we, we still have Boba Fett in the background. We obviously still have Moff Gideon in the background, plays a little bit more of a part here in this episode, but um, all of these paths are, are going to converge. Are you? How do you feel about the storyline so far? And, uh, and and are you looking forward to seeing this kind of like fresh as somebody who doesn't really know as much as uh, the regular Star Wars uh, people? Um, I am very much looking forward to seeing this become about Mandalore and about the Mandalorian people because I think that. Um, Clearly, there's some, and I think that in the extended universe, they have a lot of concretes of what happened, but clearly some shenanigans went on in terms of the Mandalore being taken over and being ruined, basically, and being taken from the Mandalorian people. And I think that that is a great overarching story arc to happen over however many seasons the Mandalorian runs. Because I, I also think it's interesting because on the one hand, you can tell on some level that uh, Mando wants that more than anything but he also that's not his he can't let himself give himself over to that so like he's a reluctant hero which is always the best kind of hero like he's not a zealot about returning to mandalore but you can tell that he's gonna in his own in whatever way be the key to it just because that's good storytelling and i'm excited to see how that happens Right. And, and more than anything else, I'm, uh, I'm fascinated to just kind of see if Mando's going to be the type when it comes to Mandalore, is he going to be one that's going to want to rule? Is this going to be a clash? You kind of saw like a little bit of a I don't think he's going to want to rule. I think if anything, they're going to want him to rule and he's going to say no, because he does. He doesn't want to. Yeah, he's not a ruler type. I think that will definitely lead to to conflict, uh, nonetheless. I think the whole, I mean, we see it off the bat. Yeah, I think so I think he I, actually might. I think he specifically might want Bo-Katan not to lead, and that might be a problem because she might be too extreme for him or something like that. Right. I mean, her character is very strong. Um, is very goal oriented. Clearly, uh, she wants the dark saber back from Moff from Moff Gideon. I'm very, I'm very curious to see how this goes because obviously, as the episode continues, uh, Mando is convinced to go uh, hijack an, an Imperial ship, and there's a lot of things that Mando finds out as they continue to go through this heist. And Mando's putting himself on the line, and there's more to the story. She doesn't give him all of the story, and as he finds out, he says, "I ain't agree to this. I ain't trying to do this." Uh, I'm Classic not about moment this. in any in any action movie 
the person the crew who's like i didn't some sign up for this in fact i actually think someone correct me if i'm wrong i think pedro pascal says that exact line in the film triple frontier someone look it up and let me know but i'm pretty sure he says i didn't sign up for this which in fairness in that film he very much didn't so i'm, I'm on his side in that and to quote the great stugats i didn't ask for any of this um he he, he really didn't but but uh bo in the, in this situation was like hey this is the way. So, so uh, Mando goes along with it for for obviously the help to find a Jedi to bring Baby Yoda to. And so, as we we see a a, a cameo by Titus Wellever, he is uh, one of the he's he's basically the captain of this Imperial. Shouts fleet. to Bosch. <laughs> shouts to Bosch. Shouts to, yeah, um, not just shouts, but shouts to my dad, who's a big Bosch guy. Um, My dad's actually a big Bosch guy. I, yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say, Bosch is, Bo, you know how like Bosch, originally Ray Donovan was the show for all dads, was the daddiest, not daddiest, the daddest, <laughs> the daddest show on television. And then Bosch is like, hold my beer. Like screw Ray Donovan, get the hell out of here! You you think you you think Dad's like you? And then Bosch comes in and is like, "This is about a middle aged cop who is completely unclear how old he is, but the one thing that is clear is that he plays by his own rules." Man, I think I need to watch this. I I mean I think it's it's definitely not something I I that my dad and I have a lot of tastes in common, and he watches a lot of good TV. That's I just am not that interested in a cop who plays by his own rules. But Titus Welver, I do like him in this role because he definitely. Uh, he definitely fits the like important enough to be the head of a ship, but not important enough to make any of his own decisions level of management. Like you just believe that he is that guy. Yeah. I think eventually I'm going to have to look into my whole mindset and my whole psychological profile as into why I'm into so many of these corrupt cop shows. I don't know what it is, but I'm just always drawn in the shield justified the wire, all—I mean, all this stuff is like my favorite stuff. So, yeah. watch my I think they're, they're different. I think the wire is a little different than like. It's the a, thing of, well, I mean, yeah, they, I think they got the, corrupt cops there the, too. Boy. Yes, I know, but I guess my point is that Bosch—it very much seems like the show is entirely on his side, and is it's like because when I like, I think the thing—the difference between Bosch and the other shows you mentioned—I could be wrong—is that I get the feeling that that whereas like the Shield, obviously, the corrupt cops are not the good guys necessarily like you, you're supposed to be like oh it's bad that they're corrupt bosh he's corrupt insofar it's like yeah he had to break that guy's jaw because but that's what you need to do to you know be a pot cop like that's kind of the way it yeah is. like, that, like that's Bauer in 24 yeah exactly well, that's <laughs> yeah, tw- yeah. 24 i mean yeah that's uh, yeah so, honestly it's the same thing i can't really get into 24 because it's like i understand intellectually that there's gonna be a dirty bomb that goes off in los angeles but like that guy had civil rights anyway tell me where the nuke is that's a that's a whole uh, Jack Bauer theme. Damn it! Tell me where the nuke is. Um, but nonetheless, as we don't get too far afield, uh, yeah. So we do see Moff Gideon show up uh, when when uh, the the captain is calling in. Hey, we kind of need some backup. We kind yeah, we need we need some help over here. And Moff Gideon is like, eh, you guys are on your own. They took they they you know what to do. You know what time it is. So it was funny seeing the. The other two stare at uh stare at the captain like ah oh, shit yeah they're you like you know that they're <laughs> not about it about it like it's like oh like we're just like some pilots like geez we're not like we don't we're, we're not all in on the empire. Also, I'd be remiss to um not to, to to say how much I enjoyed 
the cargo bay <laughs> scene oh, where I love the, the little the, general dude. Yeah, that guy was great. Whoever that actor is deserves an Emmy because that performance of like he's like all tough and then immediately just like yeah, but just shut the doors. Like just we're done. Yeah, we're fucked. Let's just let's wrap. Let's let's uh hunker down. Great stuff. Honestly, a great action scene. And I just because I think also I think it's great about it is that I love when I see an action scene where there's something I hadn't seen before. And just the notion of, like, it's probably a design flaw to have the thing that opens up the cargo hold to be in a different place than the cargo hold itself. But it is funny. I've never seen that before. And just the look on Bosch's, I'm going to call him Bosch, on Bosch's face uh, when he realizes where they are is just great. I, I loved it. Oh, it was fantastic. It was it was fantastic. And then you see Mendo dive across when the shooting starts. Um, that was a really fun action piece as well. And um, again, Cargo Bay Man, where he where where the captain asks him, where 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 are you in the cargo bay? And then bang, they all fly out. That was too that was too much fun. Um, I I really liked how tight this episode was. Um, it was tight. It got to the point. It advanced the plot. See the people who, who've been who complained about episode two, and it's like, oh, this is moving too slow. See, you got what you wanted here. You got the you got major plot movement. You got action, and you have the setup for pretty much what the uh, the middle and the back half of the season is going to be. As uh, Mando is going to be looking for Ahsoka, uh, Ahsoka Tano, the Jedi warrior uh, from Clone Wars and from Rebels. Uh, she will be be played by Rosario Dawson. So I, I, I really, really very much looking forward to seeing uh, her in that role. That should be a really fun meeting whenever that happens. I'm not sure that's going to happen next episode. Um, it might have uh, happened the episode after that as uh, not chapter 12, but chapter 13 is written and directed by Dave Filoni. So Dave Filoni who created those Star Wars animated series, the, um, that should kind of lead you and key you in on, on we'll be seeing Ahsoka then. So where we stand, uh, Baby Yoda was hanging out with the, with the frog parents. Um, that, was, that, that was cute. Uh, Mando told him to chill. He didn't tell him what not to do, but I think we knew what he was talking about uh, in terms of uh, him chilling. And then overall, we have the advancement of the plot seeing the fellow Mandalorians go off in search of Moff Gideon and the Darksaber. And uh, we have Mando on his way to see Ahsoka. And really, honestly, it was, a, it was a really good episode. I really enjoyed the efficiency of the episode. That's the thing, the show never seems too long. It never seems too short. It always seems just right. Um, was there anything else that you that you noted yeah, from this I, episode? I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, because this means nothing to me, but people are excited to see that one of the Mandalorians was played by WWE superstar. Uh, so I want to say Sasha Banks, right? And Sasha I, Banks, yeah. yeah. Shout out to uh, Sasha when Banks. I first read it on Twitter that Sasha Banks was in it, I'm like, wait, Disney Plus let a porn star on? It's like, no, 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 sorry, wrong Sasha. Um, that actually <laughs> yeah, was my reaction. Yeah. I just forgot. I got the name fixed up. Um, but no, Sasha Banks, um, she doesn't really do much. I don't know if she's good at acting. Um, but, uh, it was, you know, it's fun to see. I've been clear my sense. I liked that the Mandalorian is like, oh, is there a character, uh, that is like named? We're going to get someone you recognize to play it. I like that a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one of the, one thing that 
um, in my reading for Easter eggs, I found out director Bryce Dallas Howard included an homage to her father. The sequence in which the razor crest enters Trask's atmosphere mirrors the capsule returning to Earth in Ron Howard's uh, Apollo 13. Um, so it's a nice old match. Shout out to look, look at that. That's really, that was really cool. That's good stuff. Really I'm excited cool. to see what she directs going forward. Cause she clearly has an eye for action direction. Cause the episode that she directed last uh, season was also really action heavy and really good. Um, and I think that, uh, yeah, I would love to see her, um, you know, as we have more and more female led action movies, particularly even like the MCU, for example, I would love to see her, direct something um, like that. Cause she, like I said, clearly has an eye for it um, in a way that surprises me. Cause I didn't, I would never have thought Bryce Dallas Howard action director, um, but clearly she like, she definitely like this episode is just, is really well done from, and, and all aspects. And it doesn't feel like it's directed by an actress who's just trying her hand at directing. It feels like it's directed by someone who knows like what the hell they're doing. No, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that Bo-Katan uh, mentioned in her conversations with Mando, and I think it's something that you alluded to earlier in terms of who's going to rule what, um, she's the last of her line. So Mandalore won't have an heir apparent if she's killed. So that's something to watch for later, uh, knowing that, you know, even though she's made it uh, through canon in the animated series, we don't know what's going to happen to her here. So with this show kind of feeling like this is going to take a little bit of a, a long-term story, um, that's something to watch for going forward uh, to see if, especially if she's going to be encountering uh, Moff Gideon, who's not going to be giving up that saber uh, without a little bit of a fight. Uh, that'll be fascinating to see as well. Um, another thing that I wanted to get to, um, the, the Imperial captain bites into a suicide pill with a Star Wars twist. It seems to be an electronic implant in his tooth. Uh, tell the tooth, uh, Titus Wellimer, <laughs> at, at the end there as he as he bites on that on that implant. Also, Mando paid with the car, calamari flan grief carga gave him in the first episode. So obviously something comes back into play from from something earlier there's some cool converted tech like a hammerhead cruiser as seen in rogue one being used as a sea vessel and <laughs> and um in the credits uh john cameron who plays frogman is credited as frogman well no it's john cameron i want to talk about this it's john cameron mitchell who is a broadway legend who like directed a bunch of movies. He's like, he famously did the uh, stage thing and film Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I have no earthly idea why he's playing Frogman. Um, uh, unless the, unless IMDb is wrong, but that's what it appears at IMDb. And I'm like, that's bizarre. But once again, like I, I can't in good conscience say that IMDb is wrong because John Favreau got, you know, Jason Sudeikis and Adam Pally to play helmeted stormtroopers. So like... <laughs> Uh, one of the things before we, we kind of close out here, do you have any uh, other additional thoughts on this episode? And no, and I just thought it was really good. And I think, I mean, I, yeah, I think it's just great action and just, I, I really liked it a lot. And I'm really, really excited to see what they do with these other Mandalorians and how they explore the different factions. I think that that's what I'm, that's like, I'm, I wasn't looking forward to before because I didn't know the thing to look forward to, but now I really am. Yeah. I feel like the show, the show is a taking a different tenor. Uh, it's definitely changed in, in that way. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing what happens in chapter 12 next week. 
Um, there was one thing that I didn't talk to you about before that I wanted to bring up because um, we talked briefly about it yesterday, but um, it kind of affects the whole film uh, thing release uh, in the time being. So we found out yesterday that Wonder Woman will be released on not only in theaters on Christmas, but on HBO Max uh, for free for subscribers. Um, this is kind of like the first, uh, obviously besides Tenet, which flopped er earlier uh, last summer. Now we're getting another big budget movie that's coming out on a streaming platform. And I'm not saying this to say that this is something that Marvel will do because I feel like they got they have a lot more room to play with um, in terms of waiting. They do have a TV series coming out. They do have stuff lined up in terms of their streaming services. But um, I found it interesting that uh, that uh, WB caved in this aspect because the Patty Jenkins since this movie has been delayed like three times. Uh, Patty Jenkins has basically said, we want this movie to be released in theaters for people to see it and, and stuff like that. And now it's gonna be in streaming. What, what, do you make of, what do you make of that scenario? So there are two things at play that I think, that I have no idea whether or not Disney is gonna release Black Widow on Disney Plus early. But I think it's important to keep my two different things in, or two different factors is one, and I mentioned this in our group text, that WB just does not have the money Disney has. Like they, they actually just can't afford to keep waiting. Um, and also a thing that I have a feeling, I might be wrong about this, but AT&T, I believe, who owns obviously HBO and WB is pretty disappointed with HBO Max's numbers. And so... It is more valuable to them to have people sign up for HBO Max than it would be to just get like a one-time $20 payment. And like it's like that's the thing. And also Disney Plus has a bunch of subscribers already. And so I don't think it would be worth it for Disney to do the same thing with Black Widow. Like if they were to right. release Black Widow on Disney Plus and say it's free for Disney Plus subscribers, I don't think that they would get nearly they wouldn't get the same bump that HBO Max is getting. Um, because like I said, HBO Max only is like 9 million subscribers and they want much more than that. Disney plus like 25. Um, and also the other factor is we have no idea how much Mulan made. And I suspect just based on the general, like, you know, things that ways things have been hinted is that it did a lot worse than they wanted it to. Um, understandably, cause I think I, I, to be frank, I think that, um, Personally, I don't want Black Widow to come out on Disney Plus because I love going to the movies. And I think if Black Widow comes out on Disney Plus, then that means that movie theaters will be gone in the next five years. Um, yeah. Uh, and I also really don't like video on demand as a as a thing. Not not video on demand. I mean, like paid video on demand. Like I feel like I I like movies on streaming services, and I like having movies I go pay for in theaters. But like I personally. I would for a Marvel movie because I have to cover it for this podcast, but like, I'm, I'm just not, I don't ever feel like paying $20 to watch a movie in my own house. Because the thing is when I go to a theater, it's like, okay, I'm paying $20 because I'm going to the theater. When I'm watching in my house, it's like, well, I could watch other movies for free technically without paying $20. Like there's, there really is no new movie that is actually worth me paying $20 for if I'm not going to have a theater experience in my opinion. And that's why I'm wondering what, what the, price point has to be in order for them to break even because like if it was like ten dollars would be different but like the fact that all these movies keep getting like put at least twenty dollars 
per like to, to rent, it's like that feels like a completely unfeasible price point because even like because even something like a Marvel movie, I would say only like I would say maybe half of the people who would see Black Widow in theaters care enough about Marvel movies to pay twenty dollars to see it at home. And so I, I I don't know. I like my I guess my larger point is that I think it's a mistake to view the Wonder Woman decision as really having any bearing on what Disney does. Cause, and I don't think that means that, it, that Disney's not going to release it or they are going to release it. I just think that it's, the factors are so different and the financial positions are so different. And like these decisions are being made by boardrooms trying to satisfy investors, like not. And so like the calculus of WB is going to be completely different than the calculus of Marvel. It really, it really makes me wonder, especially when you think about Disney's overall plan, their, their plan has always been to, I think even before the pandemic hit, was to kind of always move into a more streaming uh, type of thing. I mean, that's and everyone's general, plan except for the movie yeah. theaters. <laughs> right, right. And I mean, it is amazing when you think about it. Uh, we had this pandemic in February and just to the end of the year, it really does feel like that the industry is just toppling. It's just like, it's literally crumbling. And it only took less than a year for it to happen. Although so. I would say it was already crumbling beforehand in a lot of ways. Like, I, I think that it, this is only speeding it up. I, but I would say that if movie theaters are basically extinct in five years, now they would have been basically extinct in 15 years before. I mean, if you think about Netflix and Hulu and all of these other uh, streaming services getting into the game, you see these big actors taking, you know, I mean, how much money does Netflix have in terms of budget for some of these films? You get a you get a trial of the Chicago seven. You get a devil all the time with Tom Holland, Robert Pattinson, a huge, huge, big cast, big actors. Um, The Ma Rainey film that's coming out with a with a. Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace. Um, there's just so many. There's just so many uh, changes when it comes to these things uh, in terms of the streaming services. So you're probably right about that. And I don't know. It feels it feels weird to think about a world without movie theaters, but I think you're right. I think we're headed in that direction. It's kind of yeah. It's kind of scary. I mean, I, I think it's kind of. I think if you just look at the top line box office, it can be misleading because you can see like, oh, Avengers Endgame breaking all box office records, yada yada yada. But the problem with movie theaters has been that it's Avengers Endgame makes the most money ever, but only Avengers Endgame makes money. Like the fact is, like. The, the what was going to happen before the pandemic was that your base is going to see that only gigantic action movies and superhero movies were ever going to be released in theaters because everything else didn't make money. Um, which I hate because I, I love mid budget, in fact, like I love superhero movies, but I would much rather there be fewer superhero movies and more like mid budget dramas and stuff just because, like, those are generally better movies. Um, but I think that if even superhero movies aren't going to be profitable in theaters, it's like, what the hell are they going to be there for? Don't get wrong. There's still going to be movie theaters, especially in cities, because they're always going to be right. people who like, it's going to be a very novelty thing. But I think that, um, I, I just think it's interesting to see how they're going to monetize it because I, like I said, I firmly believe that people are not going to be willing to pay as much money for, uh, to watch a movie at home. And therefore I don't know exactly how these companies will make as much money as they did. And if that's the case, what does that mean in terms of 
how big budget these movies are going to be or what types of movies they're going to make. That these are all questions I don't have the answer to because I'm just some schmuck who knows nothing. But I think that these are the questions to ask. No, and I think, and that's the thing, like there's, it's fair to speculate on these things because legitimate, it's like legitimate stuff. You've heard of even Netflix canceling series um, that they've had to green light, uh, you know, green lit certain projects, um, stuff kind of like all over TV has kind of taken some hits um, due to the lack of money in the pandemic, obviously. So it is something to monitor for sure, because just how we do stuff is literally going to change. So I, I felt like it was something interesting to talk about. So um, yeah, it'll be, you know, there might be something with this podcast and uh, Wonder Woman to come. I, I'll, I'll just leave it at that for the time. I don't know why we're being, that's, this is so dumb to be coy about. Like, come on. Like, yeah, we're going to talk about it. Let's not be stupid. Yeah, <laughs> Let's not be happen. stupid. We're going to do something yeah. involved yeah. in that. Uh, and you guys will hear about it when the time comes. Um, but the very last thing that, they were, that we were going to talk about tonight, there was some news in the Marvel Universe that occurred yesterday. And uh, this was a long, long-awaited answer to a question that one Jake Christie has had on this podcast for a very long time in regards to Paul Bettany's vision character. So now that we have that answer, one Jake Christie has written a short essay yeah, uh, regarding a this answer. Speech. Well, yeah, yeah, a little speech. Yeah, but, um, I'm going to leave it's a, it's a reflection. To Thank you. Go it, ahead. Do you think it's about you know it's 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 a reflection. It's not so much about the actual answer itself. It's about how it feels to me because as anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that I am fascinated by a certain question. And okay, I'm just gonna start. I wrote this yesterday, so I'm referring to when I say today, I mean yesterday. Wow, what a day! Paul Bettany has confirmed that Vision has a penis and that it is purple. As many of you know, the question of whether Vision has a penis has been essential not to just my presence on this podcast, but to me as a human being. I find myself feeling how I imagine the team at CERN's Large Hadron Collider must have felt when they discovered the Higgs boson particle back in 2012. A relief to have an answer, but a sort of emptiness as to how to move forward. Because what has been driving me, really? It started out as genuine curiosity as the anatomy of fictional superhero Vision, sure, but has it not become more about the pursuit of an answer than the answer itself? And was there any answer that could have satisfied my years-long curiosity? Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed the answer. Bettany sort of beat around the bush, pun intended, with his answer, only alluding to the characters Johnson by noting that Vision can, to quote, change density. And while I would have preferred that a press conference where Kevin Feige announced to a gaggle of anxious reporters, quote, Vision has a big old cock, Paul's coy response to Comedy Central reporter Josh Horowitz's inquiry was satisfactory. Speaking of satisfaction, Bettany's point about density is a notable one because it sort of implies that Vision can get erect on command. Hey, babe, you ready for round two? Vis Wanda asks. Yes, one second, Vision replies. Now, have all my questions been answered? Of course not. But in the same way that it won't make headlines when CERN scientists discover specific intricate properties of the Higgs boson particle, it won't be the same to derail the podcast to ask guests whether they think Vision's dick shoots out vibranium loads. In any event, I'm happy to have an answer. I'm happy to be seen, but I'm sad to see the pursuit go. Here's to hoping phase four introduces a new character for me to ask inappropriate questions about the end. Give yourself applause for that. That was, I muted myself, but I was laughing the entire time. Yeah, I saw you. I enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just, and, and like the whole density thing, that was the one that like flipped me. I was just like, oh, okay. So this is like a thing like, 
And see, this is where I kind of do wish that we got a little rated R action. So, you know, we kind of see what the whole story is. And, you know, I mean, maybe this is a result. See, I, I always thought of, it, thought of it as a result of uh, Wanda making reality and kind of making Vision that way. But <laughs> Vision already, you know, Vision already had that thing working. How about that? <laughs> give all the credit to jay give the man jay give yourself applause put applause in the i already the I, that, please i mean i in speaking in the future past tense i already did i did it the first time you said give yourself applause there you go there you go and i feel like that's a perfect way to end the show um we'll be back next week to go through chapter 12 of the mandalorian and so before we go jay christie where can we follow you my friend uh, follow me on Twitter at the J Christie. Listen to my other podcast, No Funk and Strictly Monkin, in which me and Andre Barrera talk about the USA Network original series Monk. Uh, keep listening to this show. And also, I mean, I haven't brought it up in a while, but you can buy uh, T-shirts and other merch with this logo on it. Uh, I own a sweatshirt that's very comfortable, and um, I enjoy having the logo on it because it looks cool because Jerome is good at designing things. Absolutely. You can follow Jerome on Twitter at Black Dragon Roll. I'm sure we'll have him back soon. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at AC Spotlight95, the other podcast on this network, Marvel Did What. We'll be back with another episode. I don't know if next week, but we'll, uh, because of the Thanksgiving holiday, but we'll get back soon. Um, also want to send a shout out to Stephanie Williams. So congratulations to her. Absolutely. Uh, she, Giving her applause. Yeah, she deserves applause. Um, she will be writing a, uh, be a part of a writer's team for for a Marvel stories. Uh, she's going to be doing a story on Monica Rambeau. So shout out to her. I'll definitely talk to her about it the next time that we're on together. And obviously follow the show on Twitter at MC University Pod. Rate, review, subscribe, show us the love. It all helps. And at the end of the day, for Jake Christie, I am Anthony Canton III. This has been Marvel Cinematic University. You guys have a good one.